This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. First of all, I forgot to say this last week, uh, but you know what just happened? It was the one-year anniversary of uh, my book coming out, Save Yourself. And remember how that came out the first week of uh, the pandemic? (laughs) And literally my entire tour was canceled, but you still made it a bestseller by repurchasing the book after all of those purchases were refunded. That was really cool of you. Also, it was the beginning of Zoom times, and I didn't know how Zoom worked yet, and I did accidentally um, share hardcore pornography with 500 people (laughs) because I was Zoom bombed. So sorry about that if you were on that particular event. But, you know, just uh, feeling grateful and also feeling grateful for all of the Patreon patrons, because this month I'm going to thank Paula Vavadowski, Brittany Carlson, Kevin Fry. Ethan Peterson, Chloe Vicker, Jen Graf Perkins, Jennifer Hunt, Audrey Rohr, Hannah Booth, Jamie, Rachel McIntyre, Madeline Broom, Fiona Ding, Danny Elkhorn, Amy A. Charlie, Brenda Esposito, Lavon Sawake, and Catherine Michaels. Thanks to all of those folks. And, you know, we do these cool Zoom hangs with me and a bunch of those folks and Sierra. So if you uh, become a patron, at patreon.com slash heyqueeros. That's one thing you can get is access to that cool Zoom. <laughs> hey, speaking of cool Zooms, that is one I just I just did one of those with the with Gina Mercero, who's our guest today on the show. Uh, Gina and I, we are part of an essay collection uh, together that is called Hungry Hearts that was edited by my very own Katie Nishimoto. Oh, and by the way, I'm so sorry that we uh, had to release and then pull an episode with Brandy Carlisle. That will be back next week. We just had a bit of a snafu with her PR team. So now it will be back. Don't worry. I really hope Brandy Carlisle is not mad at me because I really think she's a true gem. Also, Gina Rosero, part of this essay collection. Also, uh, the first um, openly trans Asian playboy playmate centerful so like wow you know what i mean it's a great it's a great conversation she's a producer now i love talking to her you're gonna love it i've been feeling wrong but i'm still holding on darling i know i know i know it's careless hey hi (laughs) i always have guests on the podcast introduce themselves would you introduce yourself Sure. Um, My name is Gina Rosero. I am a model, producer, writer, speaker, activist. You are a writer. trans woman. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Um, You are a writer. We are part of the reason that we know each other or are connected to each other is because we're both featured in this essay collection that's called Hungry Hearts that um, came out. What month is it? Um, it came out recently. recently. <laughs> like it came out in the in the especially when we go for like um 
global time or like universal time. Like, yeah, it came out recently. I would say even within the last month. <laughs> yeah, it's within the it's it's recent enough. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, what is time? Um, and you and I are both included in this essay collection because we were part of a speaking tour um, that was called Together Live. Yeah. Although Wait, we didn't. Did, I was ahead. just going to say, we didn't run into each other. On... We didn't do dates together. No. Um, Let me see. Well, I, pro- I probably did five. I don't remember. We did, yeah. definitely didn't run into each other. But you would have remembered me. I'm very funny. Like you would, It would have been impactful. It's, it would not have been forgettable. For sure. I, I am sure of that. <laughs> uh, but but Gina um I guess I think it's I mean I don't know I don't know shit about modeling but I guess it's unusual to be both a model and a speaker right is that true or mm, let me no. see no, I, I think it didn't happen in that sense right away mm-hmm. I mean it's um you know I was a fashion model in New York City I moved in New York in 2005. Very, very different context than what it is right now. So at the time, there was not a, you know, an out um, trans-identified fashion model. And it was just not allowed. Obviously, there's been um, trans models, models who identify as trans that have paved the way. But at that time, 2005, you know, it was not allowed. So I made the decision to not share to my agent that I'm trans. So I was living stealth in this very um, visual, you know, public-facing industry and and modeling industry. And and then, you know, eight years later, close to a decade, that's that's how long it took before, you know, I made the decision that I'm finally ready to tell my story in 2014. And that's when I did... The TED Talk, which is my first public speaking. And that's when I, when that talk came out, it went viral. And then I, all, of, all of a sudden I'm in everybody's <laughs> places and speaking all over the world about my story. So that's the, I, I think that's the thing that had, um, I, I guess that's how, you know, modeling and speaking came together. It didn't happen right away. I mean, I was basically, I was stealth. I was invisible. I was working. You know? Right. Well, part of the, what your essay is about in the book is having community with other trans women. So mm-hmm. I know you had that, although, and I want to I want to put a pin in that and come back to it. Um, but I'm curious if that TED talk and then the the after this every time all the time after that did it change how people in your life treated you? You know, did did people that were close to you in the modeling world, were you out to them? Or was it just like, this was news to everyone in that part of your life? In that part of my life, it was news to every, to everyone in the industry. Even my model agent did not know. Um, obviously, I have close friends that, that knew me and that protected me, sort of like my you know really close unit. But even that, I mean, that's like handful. And even other personal relationships, even some of the girlfriends that I'm really, really close with, some of them I even have to tell them even before the TED Talk. Um, right. And it was, 
it was complicated. I mean, even even because I grew up in the Philippines with such a very vibrant trans community, I, I was out and proud in the Philippines. And then when I moved to the United States, I had to, and moved to New York City, I had to, in a way, go back in the closet again and then come out again in 2014 doing the TED Talk. So when people ask me about coming out, it's a very complicated thing for me. Yeah, I would imagine. When you were... In when you were living in the Philippines, were you modeling there? No, I was, um, you know, I was, you know, I, I fully express, you know, my femme self at such a young age. But 15 years old, I started joining pageants in the Philippines, trans beauty pageants, which is huge in the Philippines. And I mean, in a way, it's modeling, being on stage and became one of the most prominent trans beauty queens. And you know, moving to San Francisco first to be with my family, it was um, just a completely different reality. There was no trans pageants on on national television. That's the kind of pageants that we had in the Philippines where it was everywhere. Right. That's what I was going to ask. That There isn't really an equivalent to that. Here. I mean, there is. I mean, in San Francisco at the time, there there were some handful. I mean, it's the first couple of years that I was living in San Francisco with my family. There were some handful of pageants, but not the way, I mean, we had hundreds a year in the Philippines, you know, more or more. And um, so that presented like, I mean, just like moving to the U.S. at, you know, I, I was 17 turning 18, presented that notion of like, where's the, where's the community that I had in the Philippines? I, it was just completely different. Uh, why did you relocate at 17, 18? My family, my mom's side of the family is in the U.S. Um, my mom's um, uncle fought for World War II. So when the 1965 Immigration Act was passed, families, Filipino families that fought um, on the side of the United States during World War II, that benefit was passed down in the family. So my mom moved here in 1995 and I had to wait here. I had to wait for like six years before I could move to the U.S. <laughs> Gina, I don't even know how, I like didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I didn't, mean, like, I didn't know about that, that bill that you're, or that, that act that you're talking, I have, I had no idea that that was a thing. It yeah, makes sense. I mean, that sounds like us. I, it rings true. I mean, like, we could talk about, the, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, the history I of, of America, you know, in, in that sense, I, I, the integral relationship between those two countries, right? I mean, Philippines, was a you know American colony for close to you know fifty years, and before that we were colonized by Spain. So it's very integral in that in, in that part of history, uh, especially you know it, at at that point in in in, in part of history where the you know, Philippines has, um, played a crucial a role in World War II. So when that um, act was passed. Uh, we were the beneficiary of that. And that was passed down to the family. But also it's important to also note that this is in 1965. So this is around civil rights um, passage was happening. So in that sense that, you know, intersectionality between, you know, um, civil rights movement and immigration movement is very much interlinked. Was that, and it, <laughs> 
I you don't have to be a history professor for this podcast, but was that <laughs> was that just for the Philippines? Is that no, the it's it's or was all it over. a broader it, I a need broader, to go yes. do some Googles after we have this conversation because I do yeah. not know about that. Um okay, wow. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> yeah, right. Um wow. Wow. Okay, yeah. That's a so your mom was over here. My mom was over here. My mom's side of my family. My mom's side the of the family. The whole side. And also, the whole, yeah. They were here on, you know, and then it's this petition process. And then I got my green card after six years of waiting. I was able to move here and then be with my mom, be with my side of my family. San Francisco. I mean, but looking back, it, you know, 2001, San Francisco was in a way a perfect place for me to, you know, as the first place that I landed, you know, because it was, you know, in a way I continued that part of that community. I met so many trans Filipinas in San Francisco and in a way they took me in. I found my other community that I left in the Philippines, a trans um, community. So then how did you get from San Francisco to New York? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was in San Francisco, was working at Macy's, I was working in cosmetics, and I was there for like four years. And it, it was a time of the life, right? Because I was young and then all of a sudden there's this new world of being in cosmetics and makeup with my trans Filipino friends. But, but after, you know, four years of, you know, around that time, I just felt like I wanted to continue that life that I had in the Philippines, which is modeling, being on stage, performing. And I tried some modeling in San Francisco, but I just realized if I'm going to do it all the way, I have to do it in New York. So New York it is. And that was the time. So, <laughs> I never looked well, back since. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, it's kind of a. So you showed up in New York and then what, what did you do? What does one do? Did you like, are you like sending out photos of yourself to try to get representation? Is that how that works? It depends. Sometimes it, it there are different ways. But for me, I didn't know anybody in the fashion industry in New York City. So I was just like, again, I'm just going to jump in and do all the way in and landed in New York, March 2005 and I've never seen snow. I remember landing in JFK and there was, it was blizzard and I was carrying this big, <laughs> this two big luggages and I was just, and I got lost in the airport and I ended up staying, I was supposed to stay at a friend, the friend canceled last minute. So I ended up, you know, finding a friend of a friend of a friend in Astoria in her couch. And I stayed with her for a couple of weeks and through her friend, a Filipino this lady who was leaving her job as a hostess at this restaurant in Lower East Side said, I'm leaving my job. You should take it. So I got the job there. And then while I was wow. working, you know, as a hostess at this um, this restaurant called Libation in Lower East Side, you know, I think a couple of weeks uh, of being there, there was a photographer that walked in that asked me, you know, am I a model? And, you know, at, at some, in that sense, you were just, I've been approached, you know, by so many people in the street. And I'm just like, mm, do you have a card? And when I saw that he was legit and his studio was like a couple of blocks away from where I was working. And it was like, show up to my um, studio and let's do a couple of shots. And we took a shot. And then he said he sent that picture to modeling agencies. And next thing I know, I'm, I have appointments to modeling agency. And I started working. <laughs> 
What is that like? <laughs> what you're talking about being, you know, stopped on like that's what I imagine. Also, by the way, you know, like when I imagine somebody that becomes a model, a model, the folklore is that like you're stopped you get on the street. And this, yeah, this is like so. I would so I'm not like shocked to hear this story, but I also, yo, I'll. I'll be honest, when people stop me on the street to comment on my appearance, it's not always to say the nicest thing. You know, like, I I think some, there's a lot of... For, I've experienced, like, it's often gender patrolling stuff. Or people... I have a very cute dog. People really want to talk to me about my dog. Um, but I don't... I have no idea what it is like to get the kind of feedback that you're talking about. And I think maybe a part of it you know, might sound appealing, but another part of it might sound like very stressful almost to get to be that visible to other people. Um, so I don't, I don't know what that's like. Could, can you talk a little bit about that? I think maybe I just had that, that drive, you know, mm. there is, I mean, I left my family in San Francisco. I, and I think my motivation was just, I am going to do this. I, I left I was close to my mom. I left my family. If I'm, I will do whatever it takes to get in the door in that sense. Um, so, I mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I've been approached many times in the street and you, you can like, just What tell. does that you, feel like when people are coming up to you to talk to you? What is that feeling for you? Also, I mean, I think add to this layer of, you know, I'm not out. So exactly. I certainly recognize the privilege on, you know, being able to just to being read as a cisgender woman. Right. So I guess, hey, I, I was born and raised in the Philippines, moving to California. I think there's in some sense, because I've been so out and public in, in, the, in the Philippines and and I guess in some sense, my instinct, there's always that the instinct that is very aware that I could just tell if the person has good intention or not. Mm, um, but for me, I would, it was very singular. I was the, again, the motivation was I need to start modeling. I need, I know I need to get an agent. So, I mean, when I was approached by that photographer, it was actually, you know, I was, I was a hostess and he came with a friend and I could just tell that like they were talking about me and I was just, mm, what is this? But then when they approached me nicely and they said, do you have a card? I was just very, um, I guess, just straightforward and just say, I, I, re I really need to check this out. And in, in a way, very pragmatic, because as I said, I've been asked many times, you know, and when I check their website, not the modeling I want. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I guess that's what I guess that's what I'm wondering is if it ever could feel unsafe to be approached by people um, because of how you physically look, you know, like that. Just I mean, there's like that other side. I mean, like being, you know, hounded in the street and like guys yeah. whistling to you. And, and <laughs> I was also I, I mean, the fear was happening in that sense because I was working late. As a hostess mm -hmm. and then my, sure. at the time I was living in Astoria and had to take subway. I would get off at uh, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And I remember getting on a subway and then actually changing and using a baseball cap and like completely, uh, you know, taking off my makeup and like baggy clothes. I had like a big bag, you know, changing into from my very polished pencil skirt hostess realness to 
you know, baggy jeans and baseball cap to survive and to get home safe. So there's yeah, that, that element. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, well, I want to I ask some other questions. Maybe we'll come back to that. So when this, you, you know, you're, you're getting agent, then you're getting work. What does that first work look like? Like, what's the first stuff that was coming to you? You know, I have to say, because in 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 a sense, it didn't come as a, it was my first time being on set and, and all those things. But I think the, the essence of performing was not new to me because at, from 15 to 17, I joined every type of pageant that you could imagine. So being on stage was that, which I guess in, in a way being on set was the same thing. You know, you're performing, you're giving your best. Um, I think what was difficult for me is that I there's that element of of trying to hide and trying to not get clocked. You know, I was very quiet or, you know, I don't know. For me, even I remember at, at that time, when in the morning, my, my voice is lower. So when I'm getting on a photo shoot at early in the morning, I have to be really conscious of drinking coffee while modulating my voice to a higher pitch just to be you know, minimize that self-consciousness. So it's a, it's a dilemma. I was thankful that yeah. I was working as a model, but I was also, how do I stay stealth, unclockable? Nobody was saying anything. I'm very limited to the stories that I share. So it's that. Wow. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Um, well, and when you're... and to, to, to be stealth in a very visible industry was a very... Sometimes I think about why did oh, yeah. I choose this very visible? <laughs> and I would, you know, I rem- I remember I did a I did a commercial for a, a you know a, a electronics company. It was like this big commercial on on billboards, and I brought my friends. I remember having my friends like, which friends should I bring? Should I bring the friends I'm really close with first, and is it with the fashion industry. So even that have to be conscious and like what stories I'm telling to this particular group of people. And that's a lot. <laughs> it was fun yeah. because I was modeling, I was living the dream, but it was difficult um, because I have to cons- consciously edit. Do you feel, is that has that been lifted now or are you still conscious of wanting to be seen a certain way? I made the choice when I, you know, come out for the first time and do the public speech on, on a TED stage 2014. I knew that I'm going to be, I knew it's a public forum. It's perhaps, you know, the biggest public speaking platform there is. I, I kind of gauged that, like, I was re- so ready to, to speak about this. And um, I was okay with that. I was at peace of that. And, and in a way, it was very extreme. I went from super hyper-conscious of like the stories I'm, I'm talking about to unapologetic, proud trans woman. Let's change the world, you know? And I think there's not a better feeling than that. And it's different for everybody, but it's a, it's a constant negotiation on, you know, when I'm on a plane. Remember that, being on a plane and talking to somebody? You know, when, I, when you're speaking, because I speak a lot, I travel to universities all over. And then, you know, when you're sitting with, next to someone on a plane, 
and you would talk about, so what do you do? And when I would say, I'm, I'm a speaker and I just went to university somewhere in the middle of America and somebody would say, what do you speak about? So it's always that constant, do I come out again to this person in a plane? So it's a constant negotiation, but I'm definitely free. I am so happy of that decision and wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> I know that negotiation. I know what you're talking about. I, I, I have. What, what are some of those things for you? What are, what, what do you mean negotiation? Well, you, just, for you, what? well, yeah. Like, I mean, I think the plane thing is something I really relate to. Um, especially when I used to have longer hair, um, you know, I, I think I, I mean, to me, I have always been like pretty clockably queer, but it turns out to like a dude, a random dude that's sitting next to me on a plane, that's not always true for him. So there is that, you know, moment of making the choice. Like, I just don't, I just don't want, I, I, I'm like on my way to work in this scenario that we're talking about. And I don't really want to deal with somebody else's shit. Like maybe it'll go well and it'll just be neutral, but like, what if it's not, I just, I don't, there's, there's no part of my personal life and my being that feels like it's something I want to negotiate with this, my, my randomly assigned seatmate, you know, like, it's just like, you're not the person that I want to talk about this with. And so I think that the questions that are personal are different questions because so many things, um, like I used to be married, you know, and I would, and I wore a wedding ring. And also I wore a wedding ring that like had like diamonds in it because I mean, fair trade diamonds, but all like diamonds in it because I'm fancy. And so, you know, I think it could look like something that maybe, you know, somebody's wondering my, where my husband is. I mean, again, like it's all just like I'm in, you know, in this scenario, I'm like wearing a motorcycle jacket and I'm, you know, and I'm like, how is this confusing to you? But it is that idea of not just wanting to have to deal with somebody else's stuff, but then also like, I'm trying to stay safe in this moment, even like um, psychologically safe, you know, I don't want to yeah. wonder what, how it's, other people are. You know, you were saying me. that, and that, I don't know, I, I, I think about, because I'm, you know, born and raised in the Philippines. I also grew up in, in, a, in a community where it was a very tight-knit community where houses are next to each other. Everybody knew each other in the community. So I'd like to think that that being raised in, in that setting affected the way I, I dealt with, with people. Obviously, I've become more aware about notions of safety, notions of how people are um, being perceived, especially as when I started modeling in New York City. But I know it affected the way, I mean, this, I remember when I first uh, landed in America and we were living in a suburb first before we moved to San Francisco. I remember being in, in the suburb outside of San Francisco and I asked my mom, so let's, let's talk to the neighbors across the street. And my mom was like, do not walk to the neighbor across the street. You're either going to get shot, you know, or police, or you're going to be called, you know, police. So you're, the neighbor will call police. I'm saying, what do you mean we don't know our neighbors? And I was, that was a big moment of, it was a big surprise. And I knew this is a very different cultural dynamic. Because that's not how I, how I grew up in a Philippine. I mean, I would walk into neighbors' houses and and 
and and share a meal together without even I'm just gonna barge in. And so I think in some sense that 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 affected my point of view around that. Um and it's that's really that. interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, I guess because it's very community centric. Everybody knows it's a big family, almost an extended family, even though it's not blood family. So, um, yeah, I, I think about those things I, I, because that was very significant. That that was the first thing that I knew. It was a different cultural context in in America. When mom said, "Do not just walk into that neighbor's house," <laughs> I think that's that. That makes a lot of sense. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I'm going to do a slight subject change because I want to make sure that I, I, so the stuff that, you know, the different, the different jobs that you have, is there, is there a favorite, um, in terms of modeling, is there something that makes you feel super comfy? Is there something that you like, um, to do like a type? Well, I'm a producer now. So that's my day-to-day job. So I'm, I'm I'm still modeling if it's there, if, if it's a, if it's a, a brand that, that I like, if it's, you know, I know what they, you know, what they're, you know, if, if, if it's more a partnership, I like that better. My mm-hmm. day-to-day job now is producing since 2016. What does that look like? So I, I guess when I, when I, when I did the TED Talk and when I was traveling all over the world and, you know, s- speaking about these issues and, you know, being in these places and I just remember being in a room where I'm the only trans person in the room, whether it's we're talking about the UN or some powerful spaces where big decisions are being made about trans people, trans people of color and, you know, fundings. And I would just be, and yes, they would have all these statistics. And I just felt like there's a disconnect on them not knowing really the lived reality and the complexities of, 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 my community and trans lives. And there's just something that I realized that like, maybe I need to tell these stories and without any background with producing, I just knew I wanted to tell a very particular story. And I just, Tyra Banks was the person I, I could in a way model from in a sense like, oh, she did that too, you know, from modeling to producing. And the first project that, that uh, we did with uh, Logo which is working with trans youth, which is a docu-series called Beautiful As I Want To Be that became a, a special with them. And, you know, it's basically um, asking trans youth what this beautiful as I want to be for, for them. And then when they share their story and then we partnered them with a mentor and that became a series. And 
from that moment, I was just, oh, this is, I want to continue this. I want to tell stories from the perspective of trans people and bringing all, I guess, that complicated stories. Right. I think I was asking um, about what you liked to, to what you you know, how, what gigs you might like, because I think there's a, I think there's a different question that I asked that does relate to this producing now, which is, you know, to me, I think about like the job that you've had in the past. And then I guess currently the job that you have too. And it just seems, um, like a level of confidence is needed that it, that sound that seems really, um, out of reach for me. Like, I can't really imagine. I mean, and I say this because <laughs> of like, of course you can. I will Come like I mean on. for me it for me it doesn't feel scary to stand on stage with a microphone and talk to thousands of people that doesn't feel scary at all other people would say that that is their biggest fear so I like I I have this experience where like I just happen to have this thing that doesn't feel scary to me and so uh-huh. like for me it was like finding to go into it. I think I think I'm realizing that like for me something that's super scary is my own body like that's why like performing wise, you know, like I love that I can control the environment and what I'm wearing and how I'm seen. And so I think when I'm imagining this job that that you had that like is how you, you know, broke into the industry, it seems so scary to me because I think about being that bare in front of people, you know, like you were talking about not wanting to be clocked and not wanting to be outed, but there's also just the element of like being seen in minimal clothing or being seen for hours at a time. And that sounds like very hard to me to think about. Maybe it's not hard for you or maybe, or maybe Maybe, it is. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe because I also, uh, I being on stage at 15, you know, in front of, um, you know, 20,000 auditorium stage in, in a pageant scenario or being on TV was at that, at that, age it was formative years you know it was it was imprinted in me that 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 performing being on stage and knowing what I want to talk about you know it it really left a mark on me so in a way starting at at that young age you know performing in pageants in a way that 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 helped with my driving force and to whether it's the innate also gratitude of like, I'm doing this right now. I can't even believe this is what I'm doing. There's still that sense of, you know, I grew up, you know, you know, poor in a tiny little alley. And with even from where I came from, I came from a background where nobody in our family is in the arts, you know, my family and my cousins are, you know, in the medical field, there are nurses and there are doctors, and that's fine. But I was lucky that I have a mom who, because I was the youngest, I was the baby, and my mom allowed me when I told her that I wanted to move to New York and be a model. She just told me that I, sh- you know, shouldn't worry, but I could always come back, but I never came <laughs> back. <laughs> so I think maybe it sounds cheesy, but I really have that gratitude that like, I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing right yeah. now. So that there's a philosophy, especially as I, I consider myself an artist first, you know, as a storyteller. So I just figure that there's so many more stories that I want to share, d- different ways of telling the story. 
you know, I'm, I'm very outgoing. I want to travel to so many different places all over the world. There's still that dream that I wanted to pursue. And in a sense that I think about if it's something that I've never done and it's safe, I would most likely try it. You know, I will almost try almost anything once. <laughs> There's a lot of, I think what, what I'm noticing as you're talking about yourself and the different choices you've made is just like, just a lot of, I, don't, I mean, I want to describe it as confidence, but I, it it could be, maybe it's um, curiosity also. And do you think that that is from your mom? Like you're talking about your mom supporting you being anything you want, or where else do you think that that comes from? A lot of the stuff that you've talked about, it's like, yo, it's straight up. It's bold to move to New York. It's bold to, <laughs> you know, um, to put yourself out there. It's incredibly bold and and brave to have a successful job and then you know come out as who you are in a way that could impact that um, yeah i think think about it I, I was really when i talk i think i've talked about this already that i was really really stealth so to come from that and maybe there's an element of like i'm catching up on those years that i i wasn't able to fully be myself Maybe there's that. and But for me, it's just, I'm a storyteller. There's so much, you so think many stories. You're pretty brave, I would, though. I think so. Yeah, I, you're pretty I, brave. I believe so. <laughs> you know, I am you know, happy that I have collaborators that, that, that thinks that I'm brave, that I'm, that are willing to give me the opportunities to, when I'm, when I'm pitching, I always say, if I'm not pitching, I'm bitching, you know? <laughs> so either those two, uh, that they don't want to get on the side where I'm bitching, where I'm, you know, pitching products that I want to create. And I, I, I'm a storyteller at heart. I think there's so so many stories to tell and even, you know, conversation about representation and all those things. But I just know there's so many stories to tell. So if, if there are, I don't know if you received um, negative feedback, you know, when I'm sure. You want to check my DMs? You're, you're nodding. <laughs> um, but I'm imagining, you know, a lot of our listeners are people within the community who have like every type of job. And so I always try to imagine like how we can take our experiences and, and make them more universal. And yes, because you happen to work in this like public facing career, you have received maybe percentage-wise more negative feedback, but I know that there are people listening who have received that stuff, you know? And I'm just curious as to if you have some thoughts that you could give for those people that are listening, you know, like how you dealt with that, how you think about it, how you move forward, because I know there are people who have been through the same stuff. It's tough. I mean, safety comes first, for sure. I mean, like in this moment where we're seeing uptick, you know, insane amount of anti-Asian violence that's happening. Um, com you know, combine that with me being publicly trans together in a really public setting. I'm super aware. Um, you know, it, even before you know the pandemic, I there, if there if I'm speaking in in a place that I know that's leaning conservative, I have that conversation with my. With my team, is it we're gonna make sure it's safe? You know, how could we really keep this safe in, in that sense? And 
uh, it's tough, you know, I'm, I'm conscious, I'm aware of it. Um, if it's something I need to report that I'm seeing, it's really horrible. I, I, I take care of it. Um, I report it on, you know, it's just an extra awareness. Um, but it's also, I, I'm not going to stop because of, because of those, uh, what people say and being condemned. Honey, I've been condemned growing up in the Philippines in a very super conservative Catholic culture, you know? So it's, um, I don't know, I guess really just, there, I have really that innate wanting to continue. And, and I'm, I know I keep on going back and this thing of gratitude. I really am so grateful because this is not in my path. This is not the, 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 that most of my friends in the Philippines that 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 were not given this opportunity, they were not um, able to live fully in in so many other sense because of social, political, cultural dynamic where I grew up and then the class um, uh, part of that too. So I don't know because I, I've come from a really really long journey and I know. There's more to go. That's why I keep I keep pushing. I keep moving forward. I think that's pretty beautiful, knowing that there's just more to come. I mean, I think that's a very good thing to say to somebody who might be, you know, at a low ebb. And it that does it feels a little like it could get into the like it gets better, but I don't think that's quite it. It's it's really no, just I, that there's more, you know. I, I, I mean, I'm that. aware I'm aware of the 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 the, the danger, especially now, but I just won't let that stop me. I mean, it's 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 important to have those people that you trust that you could call and that that immediate community that is a if you're whatever called a safe space. But it really is, you know, now more than ever, right? With what we just gone through and we're still going through, it's this it's that element of like the, the people that you really that safe unit, whether it's family or chosen family, and what it what that means in 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 the moment that we just gone through. Yeah, I think that I think that makes so much sense. Also, I mean, and you were talking about the rise in anti-Asian sentiment and I, we didn't even talk about this when you were talking about like the sort of modeling portion of your career, but um but but race obviously has a factors into this massively, you know, because that in the U.S. especially, um, this is, it hugely impacts how we're perceived. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's good that you brought up about being Asian at, at, in fashion at the time. And again, context is everything here. This is 2005. I didn't, I have to say I was not politically awake at the time. I knew, as I've mentioned, I just have this very singular focus of get in the door, work, keep your head down and just work. And B, how do I disappear what's while still being visible? So, but now I look back and, and that those are the things that I had to do. I mean, it, at the time, they're looking for one Asian model, model and they're only looking for one in an advertising. And it's usually, it's an East Asian person, not like someone from Southeast Asia, usually a lighter skin Asian and not from dark skin, you know, right, Southeast Asian. Right. So even that applies to that. And again, add that to the layer of me being trans and not wanting to be clock as trans because yeah, you know. right well also I, 
this is just, I mean, I don't know the answer. Um, Are there also expectations placed based on race in the types of like posing that you would do or the clothes that you would wear? I would imagine that that's true because that's true like everywhere else in American culture that we bring in a lot of expectations um, that we put on um, minority or underrepresented folks. So I don't know if that was also like not just being the one, but being the one and having people want a very specific thing from you. I mean, I, just to be honest, I mean, at the time I just want to work. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't overanalyzing in that sense. I knew I had this survival tactic that I had to, in a way, you know, work through as a, as a, because I was stealth. And again, sometimes I think about this is maybe why I love spy stuff, you know, spy <laughs> TV series, I <laughs> movies. I've, and by the way, I don't know if you're into it. Like I have not, I'm out of like any spy stuff that you could think of. I've seen all the foreign films, uh, spy TV series, the homelands of the world. And because I think I, re- I remember I felt like, and in some sense, I was conscious when I was modeling stealth, I felt like I was a, I was a spy, you know, I was in this clandestine oh, yeah. operation, you know, like they, they can't clock because it's life and death. You know, I knew I was having that conversation and now it makes sense why I love spy stuff, you know, and oh I've my seen God, yeah. all of it. And then maybe it's time for James Bond girl trans who's been stuck. I don't know. But like, yeah, I, that's why I think there's that there, there I there's a connection that I feel with spies. Gina, let's make that movie. That's a great. This is this is <laughs> this absolutely needs to happen. It makes so okay. Much what's sense. your role in it? What are you going to do in it? Um. I can be like the, like the nerdy, like I'm the person I'm like at the home base, you know, you know, the person that has like the gadgets, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I, I'm the egghead. Yeah. Perfect. What would be the gadget? That's a question. Um, <laughs> I, lots of different gadgets, you know, obviously lipstick that does something. That's a classic. Uh, what do you, what do you, where, what do you think, uh, so the, the, you're obviously the spy and mm-hmm. um, are you like, a, do you think you're, do you think a you're lot murderous of Lots spy? Of oh, sorry. What? Everything. Poison someone. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. You know, jumping off the plane, uh, yep. swimming, you know, I yep. think being Absolutely. a Pacific uh, little mermaid like myself, I'm sure I'm able to swim for like we 10 jump hours, out of I the guess. Plane and then swim to safety. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And swim I, and then, you know, from a boat being picked up and then just, you know, change into like an evening gown and go to Cannes and walk the red carpet. And then while, yeah. I'm, while I'm on, yes. you know, in the seat and then I'm, I need to poison someone while sitting, uh, them receiving the awards on stage. I don't know. Something like that. I think that. it's perfect. Simple. Also, the only Simple. thing I would add is some opportunity where you strangle somebody and it has to be very quiet. Because that's mm. that's one of my favorite spy. Tra- you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you're on a train or something. Mm. There's a lot of witnesses, mm. but nobody can know what's going on. Ultimate classic, <laughs> classic spy moment. <laughs> it is my specialty, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> strangling someone in a quiet way. Yeah, good, perfect. <laughs> then you'll know. <laughs> wow, that's is there? So that's that's. I love that because it sort of speaks to finding representation in like a like. A mo- representation that feels right emotionally or that you connect with 
that isn't necessarily like a one-to-one ratio, but just like, I feel that this represents me. And I, I love that. Um, outside of that, and I, and you've talked about this community, um, you know, of other Filipino trans women and like having that, which, which sounds amazing it was amazing i mean i also really get you. shout out to uh an organization san francisco at the time it was called asia pacific wellness center it is now san francisco community health center they took us in you know we were working at macy's and then wednesday called metamorphosis wednesday and it was a community of asia pacific islander and it's like Yes, we're talking about, you know, how you empower yourself, sexual health. But most basically, we're just gathering because of food, you know, potluck <laughs> and just conversation <laughs> or watching a Miss Universe pageant or, you know, it's just a kiki, it's just a hanging out, basically. But it was the organization that really did a lot for, for our community. So, yeah, in, in a way, you know, my immediate friends in San Francisco were all trans Filipinas, Asia Pacific, you know, trans people. Is that different now? Do you have a different community around you now? I have. So I did a, so when I was announced as the first trans-Asian Playboy Playmate in 2019. Yes, you were. That did happen. (laughs) That did happen. I had a party and it was, let's say, an intimate party of hundred people (laughs) (laughs) and you know people that were coming by and some friends and friends were like this is some of the most diverse parties i've ever seen i have a range of friends you know people from different races different you know class of people from different um and I, I like, and I like that. And I think because I've been o- always been open to different um, types of people, you know, that wants to party. <laughs> Can I, first of all, congratulations on having at least a hundred close friends. That's amazing. <laughs> also, can I just ask, and you can ask, like, what is it like being in Playboy? What is it like? What is that like? Amazing. <laughs> um, it was, uh, let me tell you this. I remember when I signed the contract, I, the first thing that came to mind was like, how am I going to tell to my Catholic mother? That Absolutely. I'm a <laughs> and I only called her after I finished the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. I, it was, we were in Costa Rica for four days, five days, you know, in a jungle beach, barely wearing anything with an intimate group of people in this beautiful cottage in the jungle. And the team was amazing. And it was, I felt empowered. I felt beautiful. I felt taken care of. And they knew the significance of it. And what that meant. And um, also, you know, from the way it was presented to, my, to me, the way it was offered to me, it was a, it was a partnership and not just, okay, you're just going to be this model and playmate. It was different. And they're just amazing. I mean, what an iconic brand to be a part of. And 
and to be chosen and to work with them. And it's a family. Once a playmate, you're always going to be a playmate. And they had no idea who they brought into their families. <laughs> I, I came in with ideas. And, you know, when that, when that thing came out, I brought, you know, Playboy to United Nations when I was speaking to the Stonewall uh, 50th anniversary. So it was, I felt like it was family and partnership and they really see what I'm about and what I bring to the conversation. Yeah. When you say uh, partnership, because you were, you were talking about that a little bit earlier about like where you're at now. So does that mean that that's something where you no longer show up to just like be a face and do what somebody else says? What you're bringing is like your own ideas and your own, um, or is that like a, financial breakdown sort of a thing what is partnership it still all depends i mean i hey if it uh, somebody's offering me good money for (laughs) to be in advertising (laughs) and then just do that uh, i won't say no to that you know Um, you know but i prefer the partnership i prefer you know um speaking about things that i care about and not just you know be the face and not speak about something um in in a sense it's in a sense, not just like this very static advertising face on the billboard, even though that's a great thing and that's representation and its own thing. But I'd prefer, you know, being asked to speak about things because I like to chat. <laughs> well, I think that I also think, you know, that's amazing that you are in that position and that you get to speak about yourself and that you've used this platform to move in that direction. I think it's it does feel like a newer... I just think how's that for you? I'm going to ask you. I mean, like for you, when you're working with brands and you're working with a project, like how's that for you? In in this point, I mean, being able, you know, some specials that you've had to the book to all those things. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, it's like I, um, how do I say? Well, I've always I've always been on the side of I got so I got so fucking lucky, Gina, (laughs) because I picked a job where I get to speak in my own voice. And that has always been true. So some of the things that I've said over time, I think, you know, um, I'm, this is my, my dog wants to sit on my lap for a second and she has a cone because she has an eye infection. (laughs) So I'm just going to let her sit here. Hey, what's her name? Her name is Ruby. She's very, very sweet and cute. She has an eye infection. I have in the Philippines, we have this thing called Gigil. Which is you spell G I G I L G I L, and when I see dogs and animals, I just want to giggle. Which is basically there's no direct English translation, but it means uncontrollable urge to squeeze someone <laughs> yes. or something, and you make this lips like <laughs> you, you squeeze like that. So I want to giggle with you. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's I even got right. a tattoo with it says. Giggle, oh my god, that so. is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that. Um, you know, I'm I'm like loud and mouthy. I have a lot of strong opinions. And sometimes I think that if I was, was a stand-up comic who was just funny with less opinions, maybe I would have gotten, there would be some opportunities that I would have gotten that I haven't gotten because I'm so loud and mouthy. And then the other side of that is because I'm so loud and mouthy, I've gotten lots of opportunities. So it's always a trade-off. But I think, you know, I was always expected to speak. And I think what I'm asking about is, is just also, I just remember, you know, like I grew up in the eighties and nineties and supermodels, you know, 
nobody was expecting like a viewpoint from those from those folks. And certainly I think there were people who carried themselves in such a way that they like brought a message without being asked. But mm-hmm. it really is like, yeah, pre-Tyra, like nobody was speaking in their own voice about issues, right? And so that's, I guess, what I'm asking about well, is this like... I, there is, but it's okay, not well, like... Maybe I missed that's it. Not, yeah. That's not the expected norm to, right, right, to right. speak that's, about those things. I mean, there is, uh, I think, you know, just looking at, you know, those history and not even you know, the iconic Iman, you know, and all those, you know, women right. who paved the way, they were speaking about all these issues, but it's not the expected norm. It's not the default, you know? Right, exactly. And also, I think what I mean is then Iman, like, didn't have her own show where she, and by the way, what a, what a person. <laughs> what I mean, a, person. a goddess, a quite yeah. literal goddess. I mean, <laughs> I see her on Instagram a, and just like, how oh, it's just it's too much yeah but just um serving everything but yeah i think it's 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 this newer you know i love it i love that we're now in an era where like we want to hear from you you know a little a little uh in, in a way that feels different to me anyway yeah and, and it has changed i mean like it's you know, even at the beginning, just like, oh, these things of influencer and all that stuff, right? But it is, there is something to say about like, you know, what what people speak about and what people care about. And it's what we're going through as a society, as a, as, as brands, as, as institutions that are having all this reckoning about not just what they put out there visually, but also as an institution, what was behind. It's always asking more and going deeper because that's how we really move forward with change, right? It's like, who are those decision-making powers behind the scenes? And some places maybe we'll never fully know, but we have to ask those questions and we have to push because that's the only way. That's one way, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I remember seeing Hannah Gatsby's special, the first special, Nanette. Mm-hmm. I think about being on stage and obviously what she talked about in, 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 in that sense. Um, I want to ask you, like, how, when, if there, are there moments you, when you started performing at some points where you felt like, oh, this is, this is my thing, you know, the voice and what you, the, the issues that you talk about and particular ways of, of telling those jokes and the subject matter that you're covering. Like, when did that, when did that come about to you? Because I think as artists, as performers, I think that's some of the most important, right? I mean, like when you're reading a script or like when you're looking at a, especially we're in, the, we're in this age of so many great series that are being produced and it's always that, what is the tone? How do you capture that? Right. And I think it's the same as and as particularly as a stand up, you know, comedian and, and talking about these things. When when did that happen to you when you found like this is this is my thing? This is who I am. The tone. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, I think I think multiple times, actually. I mean, it's it's the first time I was on network television, a big thing happened where for some reason, Jay Leno and Craig Ferguson were also on the same late night show. It's it's all I could answer this in a lot of it. 
there's like then there's like this album I released that was called Same Sex Symbol that that like felt like the next thing. And then the next thing that happened was a television show that I had called Take My Wife. And then the next thing that happened was a stand up special I had that was called Rape Jokes. I think of the like markers toward um, getting more personal, I suppose, is the answer, you know, um, and I hope there's stuff that's still ahead for me, you know, that feels even more like myself. I guess that's really what it is, is that like, I think as an artist, you're starting with the outside layers and then you're like, you're going further and further toward the you that's at the center. I also think that's what humans are doing. Like when we're, you know, I think that's what maturity is and growing up and growing older is, is getting to know yourself more and more. Um, yeah, it's also, I think, I think the audience are smarter now, right? In, in that sense, it's always been there, but I think the demand on the stories that are being told, I mean, like, yes, there's all these great opportunities with streaming and the different platforms, but, you know, gotta rise up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, they're smarter and they're also not being talked down to as much. Like, that's the other thing that's cool is that it's, there's like a... um feels like an estimation of who people actually are, what they can actually handle. You know, like in comedy, I think the example for that would be like, you know, talking about airplane food was really popular in the 90s. And I think an audience can handle more than that, you know, like, so it's so it's cool to see that evolution and to see people being respected for. Yeah, like people will show up to see. To see, you know, the shows that you want to produce, because. People are smart enough. People are interested enough. I think that's cool. Yeah. I, I think it, it just, I, I don't know when this happened. I definitely know I just got to the point where I was like, I'm not doing trans 101. You know, that, I'm not, that's exactly you know, oh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. I, I, we're not doing we're any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I think that's, that, that's exciting. Well, Gina, um, first of all, it's been awesome talking to you. And second of all, um, before you go into your day, I just wanted to ask if you would shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you can be who you are today. Oh, I'd say this woman named Carolyn Cosey. Um, she was the first trans model that was on Playboy. She This is in 1991. She was on Playboy. And I was still in the Philippines when I heard about her story. And she's an icon in, in the trans community, especially around the 80s. And she was the first one set that were, so a little back, her story is, you know, she was a model, same thing, what I've done, which is, she was stealth. And she did a, she did a stint on a James Bond movie, and then she got outed by the press, and then her career disappeared, and then she had to fight back. And then when she did the Playboy, that's when it became, for me, I remember even my, trans mother uh, in the Philippines told me that I should be like her. So what a full circle, you know, looking up her being on Playboy while I was still in the Philippines and, you know, to to her be, in a way being Playboy family. So she's my hero. Gina, it was so nice talking to you. You are awesome. Let us make a spy movie together. I couldn't be less kidding yes let's do that spy movie <laughs> well cameron thank you so much for having me <laughs> this is it's a great chat thank you for having me 